Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thank you so much for joining us here early this Tuesday morning on the first day of Ordinary Time here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. The Christmas season is officially now over here in the U.S., but keep in mind that Ordinary Time is called Ordinary not because it's common, but simply because the weeks of Ordinary Time are numbered. In fact, the Sundays and the 33 or 34 weeks of Ordinary Time take us through the life and the mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Church teaches that Ordinary Time is a time of conversion and living the life of Christ. And in fact, you will notice if you get a chance to go to Mass today that the priests will be wearing green vestments starting today. Want to bring in uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines on this Tuesday morning? Well, we so often get to hear the joyous noise of the young Tofoya children at the beginning of the show here on Morning Air. Those happy baby noises and babies are what uh, Pope Francis was talking about in his statement along with their mothers in terms of surrogacy. The Holy Father calling for a global ban on surrogate motherhood. In prepared remarks, he described the practice as deplorable, saying a child should not be turned into an object of trafficking. He considers the practice a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and the child. He previously has spoken out, saying that it exploits poor women, especially, and children are treated as commodities. And, of course, uh, this uh, was uh, big news, especially in the mainstream media. Anytime the Holy Father uh, speaks uh, on an issue that could be deemed as controversy as this. The USCCB added as well, as Pope Francis stated, they said with surrogacy, an unborn child turned into an object of trafficking because it exploits the birth mother's material needs and makes the child the product of a commercial contract. This is why the Church teaches the practice is not morally permissible Instead, the USCCB said we should pray for and work toward a world that upholds the profound dignity of every person at every stage and every circumstance in life. Uh, Meanwhile, Glenn, uh, weather is in the news for a big part of our country this morning. It certainly is. Strong winter storm system bringing dangerous weather to much of the U.S. Dumped snow across the plains and Midwest yesterday. Minnesota got a few inches uh, and a few more in southwestern Minnesota. The storm uh, moving uh, a little bit north. Uh, currently, it is, is, as of this morning here, you're getting snow in much of Iowa, much of Wisconsin, kind of a freezing mix along from Chicago through to Detroit, and uh, a lot of rain all the way. There's a line of thunderstorms at this uh, at this hour from Pensacola, Florida, up through uh, Mobile, Alabama, and uh, it's going to drench the East Coast later today with wind gusts of 50 to 70 miles an hour, John. Wow. Well, uh, so far here in the Chicago area, it wasn't as bad as uh, we thought it might be. In fact, I was kind of worried that uh, uh, Sarah was going to have a tough time coming in from uh, Joliet. She's got a long way to go, and, uh, you know, when the, when the snow starts to pile up, uh, it can be dangerous. 
Well, I just put on a podcast of the Rosary and smooth sailing all the way here from here from Juliet. Uh, yeah, you know, just follow a couple of those uh, sm- snow plows and they clear the path right for you. Just, uh, you know, just don't. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. It's not wise to go around the snow plow. So just uh, stay far behind it. It's also <laughs> not wise to speed. Uh, even even uh, when it's just slushy, even if it's not all snow, uh, you want to still be careful out there. So not worth it to get to, to wherever you're going, uh, you know, two minutes earlier. You know, take your time and obviously uh, drive uh, safely. Um, Meanwhile, hey, Glenn, uh, did you make it through uh, the big game last night? You know, uh, very close to the very end. The game was well in hand by the time the switch turned off there. But I, I, I knew you'd be just a little bit happy today. Well, I got to tell you, partner, I took a little extra nap yesterday afternoon to make sure I had uh, enough energy to stay up and actually watch uh, the entire game. And yes, the Michigan Wolverines are the college football playoff national champions. Number one, Michigan defeating number two, Washington, 34-13 in the championship game at uh, NRG Stadium in Houston. Blake Corum with a huge night. He rushed for 134 yards and two touchdowns in the victory. Donovan Edwards also rushed for two scores as uh, he put the Wolverines ahead 14-3 to in the first quarter alone. Michigan's defense was the story all night long. They were absolutely uh, amazing. They came up with two interceptions and held the Huskies to just 46 yards on the ground, as heard on ESPN Radio. Donovan Edwards, who scored the touchdown in to the first possession, back in the game, and he's loose again. Edwards, off and running. Welcome back, Donovan Edwards. 46 yards. Shotgun snap to Penix. Johnson stayed in the block. A throw intercepted. Picked off by Mikey Sandra still. And he's bringing it back. Crossing the field to the far sideline. He has blockers. Sandra still down the far sideline. Rosengarten can't get him. He's down inside the 10-yard line. Leading 27-13 to 13 and on the doorstep. About six inches from the goal line. Under center, McCarthy. Eye formation behind him. Bredesen in front of Corn. The handoff to Corum and a touchdown. And that could be a fitting conclusion to his career. The all-time record holder in Michigan and rushing touchdowns. Two more tonight. And 58 for his brilliant career. Eight seconds to go. Michigan has won the college football national championship 34 to 13 to complete a perfect 15 and 0 season. Well, gosh, I don't need to watch the game now. That's perfect. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate that. Nice uh, summary. Hey, it was a mass pandemonium, a, a sea of maize and blue on the field afterwards. Uh, hail to the victors. The Wolverines' Blake Corum spoke to ESPN after this emotional win. Feeling a lot of things, but first I just want to thank God for allowing me to be in this situation and give me this opportunity. You know, two touchdowns, 130 yards, but we killed it today. Offensive line, tight ends, receivers, defense. This is the team effort. That's why we won, and that's why we've been winning all year. Shout out to Team 144. I love y'all. And a shout-out to Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. He gets it done. The Wolverines earned their first national championship since 1997 and their 10th in school history. Uh, Glenn, uh, it was an exciting game if you're a fan of the Maize and Blue. 
Well, quite a season, and you know, with a few extra games over the years in the regular season and some postseason championship games, to run up a record of 15 and 0 is quite amazing in college football. And uh, and now, like like so many, right? They'd ask the star player, "Where are you going?" And they, you know, got a contract to go to an amusement park in Florida, perhaps. However, <laughs> uh, in Mr. Mr. Harbaugh's case, is it going to be? Are you headed to the NFL? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, uh, he can write his own ticket, but. Uh, Right now, uh, I'm sure he is just enjoying the moment. Uh, it, it was uh, really nice to see Jim Harbaugh's dad also at, at the game. So uh, that father and son connection, along with his uh, brother John Harbaugh on the sidelines. So it was a family uh, a connection, family reunion there for the Michigan Wolverines and, and all of their fans. So they'll be celebrating in Ann Arbor for a long, long time, Glenn. Yeah, quite the football family there. But uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely great. Great season, a little controversy along the way, but, uh, you know, that gave the, the coach a, a break to rest up for the final push, I guess, and uh, in a way, they, they went the Wolverines. Absolutely, and uh, this is the 1,004th win in uh, Michigan history. They are the winningest team in the history of college football, uh, but uh, none bigger than this one. J.J. Uh, McCarthy continues uh, his winning ways. He's now 27-1 and as a starting quarterback uh, for the Maize and Blue. So uh, even though he personally did not have a big night, uh, no touchdown passes, uh, struggled at times, he still managed uh, uh, somehow to lead the Wolverines uh, to victory. Well, now, uh, you know, you, you say you took a nap, so you got to stay up and finish the game, but were you able to sleep after that, or have you, you been know, up all night funny setting cars on fire that. and things? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, funny, it's funny you should mention that, Glenn, because uh, I was so pumped up. I was so fired up. You know, you know, it's, it, I covered the last time uh, that Michigan won the national championship back in 97 for, for Fox to uh, Detroit uh, during my television sportscasting days. And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a little emotional for me, and, uh, you you know, it uh, brings back a, a lot of memories of uh, of uh, many, many uh, a Saturday afternoons uh, up uh, in the big house in Ann Arbor. So uh, I'm really happy for the for the Michigan fans, and obviously, uh, what an incredible season I mean, to to finish 15 and 0, to take on all comers, and to uh, to finish uh, standing as the champions when it's all said and done uh, is uh, is a really uh, a special moment uh, for the Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, no, I've heard that it's hard to sleep when you get champagne all over yourself so i'm glad you got uh, cleaned up and ready for bed just in time hey uh, a little a uh, little scoop i took a i took a melatonin just to make sure that i would calm down and actually get go. some sleep because i tell you i was a little, I was a little bit excited yeah. after after that win so uh poor cindy you know poor like cindy. The, the old saying you know once a sports reporter sports guester always a sports guester so it uh obviously the good lord has uh, different plans for me uh, these days but uh that was a really really uh fun uh fun game all right as always uh, we'll uh, we'll chat about it a little bit more uh, next hour thanks again glenn and sarah hey, sounds good john a- as always uh, we always begin every single morning in prayer giving thanks to our lord for all the many blessings uh, always through the intercession of the mother of god our blessed mother mary as we continue to pray for peace in the world especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. We continue to pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. And this morning, I want to pray in a special way for Glenn's daughter, Christine, who lives in Minnesota. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and is having a difficult time seeing. So let's pray for her in a special way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning here when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Revelation 3.20. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to hear his voice. He knocks on the door of our hearts, inviting us to sup with him, that is to eat his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. Christ desires a close intimacy with us, the faithful. The question is, do we really take advantage of this gift of love, of his true presence, substantially present in the sacred host under the appearances of bread and wine in the most holy Eucharist? During uh, the beginning here of this new year and this Eucharistic revival that our bishops have called for, let's begin today by opening the door of our hearts and letting our Lord Jesus feed us with the bread of life, the Holy Eucharist. And we always pray with great confidence uh, from the chaplet of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short pause when Morning Air continues. A Catholic writer, Laura DiMaria, will be with us to talk about uh, radiating the joy of Christmas all year round. So stay with us on the, this Tuesday as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday morning, the first day of ordinary time as the Christmas season is officially behind us. Our email, if you want to reach us directly with any thoughts or story ideas, whatever is on your mind, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can find us also on X, formerly Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. Now, we are officially in ordinary time, and with that, uh, there was a lot of folks who might uh, be thinking, well, like Christmas is over. How can we prolong the joy of the Christmas season, uh, not only uh, during uh, uh, Christmas time, but throughout this whole new year? Joining us live from our uh, me- from Metro Washington, D.C., is Catholic writer and speaker Laura DiMaria, who will give us some practical tips on how to keep the beauty and the giving spirits of, of Christmas alive in your home and family all year long. Laura's a revert to the faith. Her personal website, where she writes on topics including personal development, spiritual study, and living the Catholic faith in daily life, can be found at lauradimaria.com. Good morning, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you. I haven't had a chance to say uh, happy new year, but uh, hey, it's 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 happy new year. 
Happy New Year. Yeah, great to be with you as always. Thanks for having me on. It brings up the whole topic. I thought I saw some interesting perspectives of, you know, how long can you continue to say Happy New Year? You know, I wonder that same thing because something that I've noticed, you know, last week, a lot of people were still out of office. I got a lot when I was at work getting a lot of bounce backs from people still away. So I think you can still prolong it at least this week, but maybe even to next week, too. For sure. Well, um, I wanted to talk uh, about uh, uh, the uh, spirit that one needs to try Mm -hmm. to maintain during the whole year. You know, they talk about, you know, the Christmas spirit. And uh, it's so easy to go back uh, to our ordinary lives now that the Christmas season is over as as of yesterday with the baptism of the Lord. But uh, why should we keep that joy of Christmas and try to remain cheerful year round? We should try to keep that joy and the lessons that you learn throughout the Christmas and even the Advent season, just because it's good for us. You know, it makes us a better person. I think about at the at the end of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, where Scrooge is said to be the person who honored Christmas in his heart and kept it all the year. You know, so that doesn't mean keeping your Christmas tree up or something like that. It means the charity and the slowness and the thoughtfulness And the enjoyment of life that you can really experience during Christmas is not something that you only have to just keep for that little part of the year, but you can really take it with you into your daily life and certainly into your faith life all year round. Well, I know that you have some uh, practical (laughs) uh, tips. In fact, you've written about this in in the past Mm -hmm. on how to keep the beauty and that giving spirit of Christmas all year round. What is the the first uh, suggestion that that you have for us uh, that you can share with our listeners this morning? Right. So a real easy one, remain active in the life of your church. So chances are your parish was putting on events or holding uh, you know, food drives or holding prayer nights, things like that during the Christmas season. And even though those specific events and activities are no longer still happening, there's lots of ways to be involved with your church and bring your gifts to the church and as a result benefit, you know, deepen your faith. So the very first thing is just because Christmas is over and the Christmas plays are done and the Christmas carols aren't being sung, your church is still involved in lots of ministries and lots of different opportunities to learn and grow. So be there, you know, look into what's happening at your church and stay active at your parish. And Laura, one of those uh, ministries that uh, is uh, available in in many churches uh, across our country is uh, the Legion of Mary uh, Apostolate. I know that this one is is special to you. Tell us about uh, your involvement with the Legion of Mary. It is. The Legion of Mary will always be special to me. So when I had my reversion to the faith experience now about 10 years ago, um, and as as an adult in my late 20s, I was confirmed into the church and I thought, okay, great. So now I'm, you know, sort of officially a practicing Catholic, but how do I really learn what I'm supposed to do? And I came across the Legion of Mary. So for people who don't know, it's a lay apostolate. It's the largest lay apostolate in the world, or at least it was as of a couple of years ago. Um, and it combines prayer and works and fellowship. So you kind of learn everything that there is to know about what it means to live the Christian life. And the works are things like prison ministry, which I've been on this show to talk about before, homebound ministry, 
um, anything that sort of serves the people within your parish bounds, essentially. And then there's a weekly meeting where you pray together and enjoy fellowship with your fellow members. Um, and then, of course, just the prayer that you can do on your own that's a part of the Legion. So getting involved, and that's, this is a long-term commitment. You know, this isn't just something that you come to sporadically. And, and I would say don't be afraid of those types of commitments where you're being asked to give of yourself in a long-term kind of way, because that's kind of the whole point of what we're talking about here is that it's not just during certain parts of the year that you want to be charitable or you want to be prayerful or you want to be with others, you know, in a certain spirit. You can do that any time of year through joining an organization like, for example, Legion of Mary. I remember back in my uh, Detroit uh, TV days, uh, there were uh, members of the Legion of Mary that used to literally go out and knock on doors and, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, say hello to the folks in the neighborhood uh, by, yeah. by their parish and uh, hand out rosaries and prayer mm-hmm. cards. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it takes a real commitment and a real uh, love for our, our Lord and our Blessed Mother uh, to do that kind of thing, to go knock on doors. It really does. And, you know, here's the interesting thing. When you do that, you're not doing it in the spirit of yourself. You're doing it in the spirit of Our Lady. You know, you're under her protection and you're also doing it with another person. So one of the tenets of Legion of Mary is that Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs, you know, two by two out out to do their work. And same thing when you're doing Legion work, you're always with somebody else. And so if it's a little bit intimidating to go up and knock on a door, which I've been in that situation, you know, you you don't say, all right, what am I going to do? You say, Holy Spirit, please work through me. Let me let me say the things that this person needs to hear. You know, let it be a productive, friendly conversation. And you'd actually be really surprised that a lot of people say, oh, I've always wondered about that church over there. Um, you know, that's so interesting to go there. What Like, when is Mass? Or I grew up Catholic and, you know, just I sort of fallen away from it and I don't know, why should I come back? You know, and you really have an opportunity to evangelize to other people. So it's, um, it's like a, it's a big calling, you know, but with all of these things, we don't do them as ourselves. Of course, we bring our own personality and talents and things like that, but it's always under, it's like with the understanding of the Holy Spirit is moving this in some way, you know, you're doing this as, as someone who loves the Blessed Mother and wants to meet her people and help them. One of the things that we do uh, during uh, Advent uh, to prepare for the coming of of uh, the baby Jesus is spending more time in uh, a prayer. Uh, how, mm-hmm. how can we continue uh, to uh, to pray more all year round? Yeah, prayer seems it's like a little bit easier during liturgical seasons, right? Like you think about Lent, there's all these different kind of um, you know there'll, there'll be particular prayer services, or like during Advent the the O antiphons, there's these specific prayers that are associated with liturgical seasons. So if you're someone who feels like, I don't really know how to pray, or this is not a part of my life, it's really not that complicated. And and I really believe in the importance of prayer as just being a truly integral part of the spiritual life. So when I say it's not that, not that difficult, um, it could be as simple as an examination of conscience, you know, at the end of your day, just talking to God about how your day went, what were the good things, what were the not as good things, where do you feel like maybe you fell a little bit short. Um, There's lots of just small prayers that you could even say throughout your day. And a few years ago, a a Dominican priest taught me the Jesus prayer, which is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's it. And I mean, you can sit and you can just breathe with that prayer. 
So it's important to to maintain a prayer life, or if this is a new thing for you, make it really a critical piece of, of your life and not just something that's a feature of the special liturgical seasons of the year. All right. What's a, another thing we can continue uh, to do to keep uh, the Christmas spirit all year round? So here's another one that may make people feel a little bit self-conscious, and that's okay, but I think it's really important, and that is to sing. Sing with your friends. Sing with your family. Something that I love during the Christmas season is when you go to Mass, most likely your church is singing Christmas carols instead of sort of the normal hymns, you know, throughout the Mass, and that is just so fun, and I just love it so much, and you know that more people are singing during those times than at any time of year. So, Again, it's not that you're doing this specific Christmas thing, like you're not singing Christmas carols throughout the year, but just, you know, are you doing dishes with your child and sing a song together or you're on a road trip together and and can think of some song that everybody knows? Um, singing just, it brings a level of joy that is just, it's just kind of unique. You know, it's different from having a conversation. It's different from, you know, I don't know, reading out loud, something like that. It's just fun and it's just relaxing and you don't have to be good at it. Um, and I just recommend just sing together, sing with people. I, I feel like it's it's like a modern thing that people don't sing together. You know, think about back in the day, singing around the campfire or, you know, the entertainment that would happen within homes. Chamber music came from the idea of you're playing music in a chamber in a room for a small audience in a home. So these are all things that are just good for us. They're good for our spirit and they're fun and, and we should sing. Singing really is fun. In fact, we had a blast here at Relevant Radio singing Christmas carols right before Christmas as a company with Father Rocky Aww. playing the piano, just jamming away. And wow. uh, that was so much fun. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, it reminds me of St. Augustine, who used to say, uh, uh, when you sing, you pray twice. So it's it's yes. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, spending quality time, uh, mm -hmm. with, uh, family and friends, uh, it, it's not just for the Christmas season, which, uh, obviously it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's something that we should also try to do all year round. How do we do that? It is something we should try to do all year round. And if you think about it, you probably see your family members, for example, the most at holidays and you get that quality time with them. So, so that's good. You know, and and sometimes you may feel, wow, I really I wish I had more of that. The the family that you have around you, the friends that you have around you, you have opportunities all the time to to intentionally spend that quality time. And one aspect of this that I I think about in relation to Christmas and the holidays in particular is just playing games. You know, I think in the past few years there's really been a resurgence in interest in board games, for example. Um, but it, you know, it doesn't even have to be that formal when you're in the car, you know, rather than sitting your kids on iPads or, or, you know, just drowning out conversation with music, play a game together. There's lots of them. Um, you know, just, just Google it essentially. And I, I was thinking too, again, just to reference, uh, Scrooge and a Christmas Carol, there's that great scene when he's with the ghost of Christmas present and he sees his niece and his nephew playing games and he gets so excited about it, and he's so into it, and he's yelling out the answers, you know, and they can't hear them. Um, it's If you Google Victorian parlor games, there's a lot of really funny games that would still be fun to play. Um, the game that they're playing, it, well, depending on the version, at least of the movie that you see, 
is a game called similes, you know, so, so you're trying to finish someone else's sentence and not everyone gets it. And it leads to a lot of laughter and fun. So make that time for quality time and a great way, like a great excuse even to bring people together is to set up a game, play something together and you will bond much more quickly than you would if you were, for example, just watching a movie or, uh, you know, something that kind of takes everyone's attention away from each other. Another uh, a beautiful thing about uh, the Christmas season is the family traditions. You know, everybody mm -hmm. has different uh, traditions. What are some of the ways that uh, we can continue to have uh, some of these family traditions the rest of the year, not, not just only during the Christmas uh, season? Right. So if you think about the basic things that you do during Christmas, you know, as we said, you spend time together, you're singing, you're playing games, you're praying together, you're at your church more. So take that into the rest of the year. You know, so there's a lot of eating at the holidays. What about hosting your friends or your family on the first Sunday of the month for dinner? You know, there's a new tradition. You know, every every month that's going to be the tradition. Um, or on the prayer side, beginning to create a family tradition of attending adoration. You know, introduce your children to that. Um, I, another idea that I like is is the idea of making a tradition out of doing a domestic pilgrimage. You know, so depending on where you live in the country, it's, you know, it, it tends to be pretty easy to find a local shrine or a local chapel or something, you know. So these are all ways that you can just bring like the specialness of Christmas into traditions that last throughout the year. We have a little over a minute left. Uh, your final thoughts on uh, some other ways that we can continue with that uh, beautiful Christmas spirit uh, throughout the year. Right. Well, I would be remiss not to mention charity, you know, so we're giving a lot more during Christmas. Make that a monthly thing, you know, give give to organizations that you really care for. But then more importantly, on this whole topic, look into your own heart around what you want to do that's reflective of the goodness and the giving of Christmas. And most important of all, that memory of what it is we're celebrating. You know, God made man, God come into this world and, and just what that means, you know, the significance of that in our lives, in human history. And it's not possible, or it's not impossible, sorry, to to not do this year round, <clears throat> excuse me, and kind of have this sort of joy that's really focused on what it means that God loved us so much that he came into our situation, you know, into our broken and chaotic world to be with us and to teach us and to really show us the way and, you know, and to change us, to make us people of charity and togetherness. So it's possible for everyone. And if you need a little prayer to get you there, then that's perfectly acceptable. And, and I think this is one of the callings that we have in life. Well, Laura, I really uh, appreciate uh, your perspective and your insights. Uh, thanks uh, for all of these uh, practical pieces of advice. Uh, it, it's really a, a joy to be with you. It's always a pleasure to be with you, John. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that everyone does have a very wonderful new year. Thanks again. Uh, Catholic writer and speaker Laura DiMaria joining us from Metro Washington, D.C. We need to take a short break. When we come back, uh, attorney and political analyst and a morning air contributor Alfonso Aguilar will be with us to talk about some of the key issues surrounding uh, this presidential election year. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come on this Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. It could be Christmas all year long. 
bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and producer Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on this Tuesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. A toll-free number if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. That's 888-914-9149. Our email is morningair at relevantradio.com. You can find us on social media on X, formerly Twitter, at Morning Air Shows, our handle, as well as on Facebook. Now, the final Republican debate uh, on CNN will take uh, place tomorrow night, uh, January 10th, before the Iowa caucuses next week with only uh, two candidates, uh, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on stage in a rare one-on-one debate. Only Haley, DeSantis, and former President Donald Trump qualified, but, but Trump, who has skipped the earlier four debates, is opting instead for a Fox News town hall in Iowa at the same time that night. Ambassador Haley uh, led a town hall on Fox News last night, and Governor DeSantis will do the same uh, with a town hall uh, tonight. Here's part of Nikki Haley when she was asked about her loyalty to uh, President Trump. Look, I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies, but rightly or wrongly, Chaos follows him. And y'all know I'm right. Chaos follows him. And we, we can't be a country in disarray and the world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. You don't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And not only that, we can't go through another nail biter of an election. Joining us uh, live from Washington, D.C. for a Catholic perspective on some of the key issues in this presidential campaign and the critical Iowa caucuses is attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar, the political director of Americano Media. Alfonso is, uh, of course, a regular contributor to Morning Air and a frequent guest on Fox News, MSNBC, Telemundo, Univision, and CNN Español. He's published opinion columns in The New York Times and The Wall Street Journal. Good morning, Alfonso. Thanks so much uh, for joining us once again. It is great to be with you uh, for the first time here early in the new year. And uh, I understand you just got back uh, from across the pond uh, from Dublin, Ireland. That, that is correct. Uh, good morning to you. Happy New Year to you and your, your audience. And uh, it's great to start a morning with some merengue. Uh, <laughs> that was just for you, my friend. That was... Uh, it, it woke me up. Uh, but yeah, I was in, in, in Dublin uh, and uh, it, was, it was a great visit and always great to visit a, you know, a, a Catholic country and uh, which, you know, sadly, as, as many uh, Western uh, countries, it ha- is, has been secularized. But still, you can see the roots uh, of our faith uh, throughout, you know, images of Our Lady all over the place. And, uh, you know, th- th- there's there's always hope, right? Uh uh, you know, we, we, we have the truth, we have our Lord, we have the Eucharist. And, uh, so, uh, but it was a great visit. And, and the other beautiful thing was, um, you know, uh, to realize the impact that, that John Paul's, uh, the Pope John Paul's visit in 79 had in Ireland, but they're still talking about it. And, and, uh, so, so it's, so anyway, it was a great visit, uh, 
short visit. I got to rest, but I, but I'm back. Uh, and uh, it, it's the year, year starting early, and, it, and it's going to be a very intense one. Well, I know that even uh, on the other side of the pond in Ireland, uh, you've been keeping an eye on what's happening uh, here oh, yeah. in this country uh, with uh, the political uh, scene, uh, the presidential campaign, and obviously in, in full swing. We've got this uh, f- final uh, presidential debate uh, coming up uh, in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, with uh, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis uh, going at it while uh, President Trump, former President Trump, will be holding a, a town hall on Fox News. Uh, give us your perspective of where we're at at this point in the campaign. What can we expect uh, from uh, these de- this debate and and, the, and these town halls? Well, you know, uh, as I've said now for several months, uh, I think Donald Trump looks unbeatable. I mean, he's had a massive lead that seems to be going up uh, from you know throughout the year. So it's just really very difficult. Uh, for any of the other candidates to beat him. Uh, so at the end, uh, to change things, they have to beat him. And in Iowa, which is you know, a more conservative um, caucus, uh, the first primary contest, it's, it's just gonna be difficult. Uh, so I think Donald Trump wins. And uh, you know, the first contest, he'll get momentum towards New Hampshire, uh, where his lead is uh, not as big um, uh, against uh, former Governor uh, Nikki Haley. Now, Iowa is important because I think that it's important for for Ron DeSantis. Is a more conservative uh, primary. He needs to arrive to be able to continue in a solid second. And if he were to arrive third, I think that would be it for him. Uh, even if he arrives second, but uh, is ahead of of Haley by just a couple of points that's going to weaken him considerably. So, and then obviously we move on to New Hampshire and that's the key state for Nikki Haley, where that's the only state where she seems to be a little bit more competitive. I say, I say a little bit more because Trump is still ahead and, you know, uh, she has gone up in the primaries there, but Trump is still ahead by 15 points or more. If Trump wins, I don't know how she continues. So, you know, but by the end of March, we'll have a, an idea of where this is going. But if Trump wins Iowa and New Hampshire, I don't know what's the path forward for anybody else. Haley definitely has become the candidate of the establishment, which for any principal conservative is concerning, uh, because sadly, the establishment is willing to negotiate on on, princ- on key issues of principle like uh, abortion and, and, and the LGBT agenda. Uh, and so... You know, she's gotten a lot of money from establishment sources. I just don't know. She got the endorsement of, of the governor of North Carolina, of, North, of New Hampshire, uh, Sununu. Uh, you know, but the only, if she doesn't win New Hampshire, I, I, I don't know uh, what's her path forward. Well, uh, according to a recent uh, poll uh, there in uh, Des Moines, uh, from uh, the Des Moines Register and uh, NBC uh, News, uh, the economy and immigration are extremely important yeah. to the vast majority of likely Iowa yeah. Republican uh, caucus yeah. goers. Uh, and I'm sure that we're not talking just in that state, but uh, that yeah. seems to be on the minds of many all across our country. Yeah, yeah the, that that has become the, the, the two top issues for most Americans. Uh, 
you know, the economy, obviously, uh, even though the administration keeps talking about economics and uh, how things are great. Well, people don't feel things are great. Uh, prices keep remain very high. Inflation remains high. I mean, it's gone down, but still is is, is much higher. And, and there's some basic products, uh, 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 household products, uh, 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 the full food basket that remain uh, very high. Uh, and, and people uh, are feeling that. So working Americans uh, are really concerned. And so be, the administration may keep saying, President Biden, that everything's great, that the economy is doing great. But, but that, to many, is a slap in the face. I mean, recognizing the hurting due to, to, um, to high prices. And, um, you know, part of it is, 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 is not only the, the massive spending that this administration unleashed that caused inflation, but also his war on fossil fuels that obviously has generated high prices, uh, fuel prices, and energy and fuel is, is, is the basic component of the economy. Uh, you know, fuel prices go up, that affects everything. Um, Alfonso, I'd like to get your thoughts uh, as a as a political analyst and, of, of course, as an attorney uh, about uh, the Supreme Court case uh, that the high court has agreed to hear in which they're trying uh, to get uh, former President Trump off the ballot. Well, you know, it's funny they say that that the Trump, would, you know, it's a dictator. But when you look at this type of measures, this you know, what happened in Colorado, what happened in Maine, this is the type of things that happen in autocratic uh, countries where kangaroo courts and officials <clears throat> try to, you know, uh, derail uh, the candidacy of, of opponents. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Uh, Trump has <clears throat> not been uh, uh, charged or indicted of, of uh, insurrection. And, uh, you know, regardless if, if people think that, uh, you know, he, he, he was involved in, in, in an insurrection. That's a matter of opinion. It hasn't been established by a court of law. Uh, the Constitution guarantees due process. So I just don't know how uh, the, the, the Supreme Court can really justify their decision. It was a close decision in Colorado. It's four to three. I feel the Supreme Court has already said that they're going to take on the case. I mean, look for a nine zero decision, because to me, from a legal, strictly legal perspective, it seems uh, far-fetched that, uh, you know, they're going to uphold uh, what happened. So uh, we know that there are other states where this has been, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, they've tried to push this and it, it hasn't prevailed. But I think this is the first time the Supreme Court will actually take a court and, and, and speak clearly uh, and say, you, you know, this, this case cannot proceed. And, you know, Donald Trump you know, has not been charged with insurrection. So therefore, he should, he, you cannot uh, kick him out of the, of the ballot. They're basing it on an old law from after yeah. the Civil War. Uh, do you think that it's pretty blatant that uh, Democrats seem to be uh, afraid that uh, former President Trump is going to win? So they're using uh, this yeah, yeah, old yeah, law yeah. to keep him off the ballot. Well, they're going through an entire playbook. You know, they have a list of things they can do to, uh, you know, try to invalidate Trump's candidacy, right? And this is one of them. They've talked about this in legal circus, circus in, 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 in activist circles about this. And that's why you've seen so many Democratic states try to try to kick him out based on, on, on this clause from the Constitution. But when you read it, uh, 
you know, this was intended for uh, officials of the Confederacy who clearly uh, seceded from the country. Uh, uh, and he doesn't mention the office of the President of the United States. Uh, it specifically mentions some offices, uh, representatives, senators, candidates for those offices, uh, people who, who, who served in the Confederacy cannot run for those specific offices, but it purposely excludes the President of the United States. So if we look at the text, it doesn't seem to apply either to this case. So uh, I don't know. It, it just seems to me another desperate uh, attempt at kicking Trump out of the ballot because they're afraid of him. And, and look, we're starting to see the polling. Uh, and consistently, Trump is ahead of Biden and in key battleground states. Plus, we've, you've seen the, the polling as well. Uh, support from, for Biden uh, among African-Americans has dropped to slightly over 60 percent. The latest poll from USA Today on Hispanic voters has Trump ahead 39 to 34 of Biden, which is historic. That's amazing. You know, Demo- Absolutely Democrats amazing. need a massive support from Hispanics and African-Americans to win. And it's just not happening. So uh, I think that I don't know how, how he's able to win at this stage. Now, there's still a lot of time. But time's running out. So if, if Biden wants to <clears throat> change things, he needs to reverse things very quickly. And I just don't see that happening. Well, one thing we know for sure is that the issue of immigration is uh, yeah. on the minds of the people, uh, not only in Iowa, but uh, in uh, many parts of our country and many major cities. Last month, over 300,000 undocumented migrants crossed yeah. the southern border, which is uh, the all-time record number. Yeah, give us uh, your uh, perspective on uh, this immigration crisis and how uh, important it will be during this presidential uh, campaign. Well, it's a man-made crisis that Biden created. Uh, it's it's uh, three hundred thousand. You know, I served in the in the Bush administration as chief of citizenship. I toured the border twice. Uh, you know, we were concerned about the numbers then. This is historic. Three hundred thousand is the highest number we've seen in a month ever. And and it's during winter when numbers normally go down. So this is ridiculous. And then yesterday we found out that in a private session with border uh, patrol agents, Mallorca said that they're letting in, of those people who arrive at the border, 85% of people they're letting in. So so almost everyone is getting in. No wonder people keep going in. The message is out there that the border is open. So this is going to continue. It's not only a national security risk, uh, but it's also a humanitarian risk for those migrants who are making that extreme journey from all over the world. You know, we know that there's crime, there's child trafficking. This is horrible. And that's why. And now it's not a border issue anymore, because as you were saying, we're seeing migrants everywhere, Chicago, New York, taxing the limited resources of those countries, of those uh, communities, of those cities. And uh, so it's become a huge issue. And then again, we have the administration not not owning up to it just lying and saying that the border's uh, under control. So I think this works against the president as well. Final uh, minute or so, uh, your thoughts on the issue of abortion, which obviously is uh, one of the non-negotiable issues uh, for us as Catholics. Well, uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, uh, one of the Biden campaign officials, I don't know if it was the the campaign director or somebody high up said that abortion was going to be one of their top issues. Uh, they're committed. They're committed to, you know, after row to ensuring uh, an expansive 
even broader regime of abortion throughout the country. That's what they're pushing uh, throughout the states. We've seen, uh, you know, this this uh, uh, ballot proposals that they're pushing through different states that go beyond Roe versus Wade. Biden's going to campaign on it. He doesn't have the economy. The economy is like, the issues against him, border as well. So he's going to try to push an extreme abortion position, uh, use the federal government to promote chemical abortion and abortion, you know, even beyond nine months, if that was possible. You know, they claim that the conservatives are the ones who are extremists in abortion, but they're the ones that are pushing extreme abortion. Well, Alfonso, always appreciate uh, your perspective. You you bring a a Catholic uh, point of view to our uh, political uh, discussion. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Many blessings uh, here the, the rest of the way. Thank you so much. Attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar, the political director of Americano Media. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called A Loving Neighbor by Elliot Silva. When my husband was deployed, one of the worries we had was about the grass. Who would maintain the yard? I could go out there and cut the grass myself, but with everything I had on my plate with two girls, I wasn't feeling it. We could try and find a lawn service, but that still meant me having to make sure it got done and they did a good job. I wanted as little additional worry as possible while my husband was deployed. And this is where Steve comes in. I sent him a text and told him about the deployments. I wasn't sure if he'd say yes, but I asked, could he help cut our grass? No, he'll cut it today before he deploys tomorrow, but it would be great if you could cut it and help maintain while he's gone. We can pay you. He responded right away. It wasn't a problem at all, and he'd not accept payments. He wanted to help. I let my husband know, and we both breathed a sigh of relief. When your husband's deployed, whatever worry you have that you can take off your plate means the world. Knowing the grass would be taken care of was enormous stress off my shoulders. About an hour later, Daddy was playing with his girls. He was trying to soak up as much time as possible with them before deploying the next day. He told him he could play for a bit, but also had to go outside and cut the grass soon. And then we heard it. The mower. My husband said, Elliot, Steve was cutting the grass. Maybe he misunderstood we didn't need him to help till next week when I'm already gone. I went outside. Steve, we didn't need you to start till next week. He was going to do it today before he leaves tomorrow. Steve responded, I know, but I'm not the one about to leave my family for deployment. He can spend time with his family. I got it. My face swelled with tears. Tears of worry, gratitude, anxiety, and relief all rolled into one. It all came pouring out on Steve, who probably thought I was a bit overly emotional about grass. It wasn't about the grass. It was about the gift of time that it gave us. A neighbor stepped up to help when we needed it. As I came back inside, I thought of Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, won't you be my neighbor? From Mark 12, 30 and 31, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Catholic evangelist Martha Fernandez Sardina will be with us to discuss love solutions to love more in 24. Plus, Professor Harry Kramer will join us to share how his 2023 resolution went and how we can welcome and live this 2024 in a unique way. So stay with us. There is much more to come in hour number two here on this Tuesday edition of Morning Air.